0: Are we not the best of some friends already? Only in media. Welcome to episode 138 of Stargazing, a big, deep podcast. I'm Mark Zimmerman, your host. Joining us tonight are Stephen Meserve, the brains behind 100degreehockey.com, the best and most thorough independent source for Texas Stars hockey. And also, defending Big D's own prospect expert Derek Newmeyer, also at FC Hockey and NHLDraft.com. Anyway, welcome, guys. Um, tonight we're going to be going. Uh, we're going to be doing a follow-up on our armchair GM series that looked at where Dallas is, and now we're going to look at what's in the pipelines, especially players that were on the ice last year in Cedar Park or should be this coming season. So let's take this like the Dallas Stars would from the net on out. Uh, welcome, guys. How you doing?
1: Doing good. Doing good, Mark. Thanks for having me. It's uh, it's cool to be talking hockey again. I'm, I'm excited, hoping that uh, the draft is soon, and we'll all be talking Traverse and all of the things that are Dallas Stars hockey again real soon.
0: Well, I'm, yeah. I'm out in Southern California, and uh, I'm thinking of doing 110-degree hockey once uh, once we get a team out here in Palm Springs. <laughs>
2: Thanks for having me as well there, Mark. And uh, I'm looking forward to talking about something that's not just the 2021 NHL entry draft for for a little while, because that has been where pretty much all of my free time has been going over the past uh, couple months, really. It's been a lot of work on the FC hockey side of things, getting getting our draft guide set up. But, uh, yeah, I'm excited to uh, chat some prospects that have already been drafted for a change.
0: Okay, well, let's get started. Um, we we kind of have a mess up at Dallas with three NHL guys and, uh, and really only two slots. So uh, how, how do you see that resolving its way out there, Stephen?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting one this year, and, and one that I talked to GM Scott White about, uh, Texas Stars GM Scott White about when uh, there was possibility that Ben Bishop would come back. I asked him, you know, point blank, what are you going to do with Jake Ottinger? He's not going to go to the taxi squad, is he? And he said, I mean, you know, he Scott White is a famously cagey uh, GM, uh, but. You know, he basically let on there's no way you're going to put a guy like Jake Ottinger on the taxi squad. You need him playing games and play games. He did. Right. And uh, I think it's, it's given a really, really rough situation where I don't know exactly what Jake Ottinger has to prove in the AHL. Typically, you need a lot of reps and you need to hone your game. But he was really solid in the year that he was here. Then he got a very extended tryout in Dallas this past season. And it's one of those situations where if he's in the AHL, it's not his play. Or excuse me, yes, if he's in the AHL, it's not his play, it's the contracts. Uh, That's my personal take on where he is as a player.
2: To follow up on Steven there, yeah, it's it's pretty obvious that Jake Ottinger is already an NHL-caliber goaltender. And there were stretches of last season where he was even outperforming Anton Hudobin. He finished with a higher save percentage than Anton did. Um, he didn't look out of place, he didn't look rattled, he didn't look phased by the pressure, which is not easy to do in the NHL as a goaltender, especially when you're only 21 or 22. So I think he more than proved this past season um, that he's capable of, of staying up with the big club. But what happens next, it's, yeah, it's, it's going to be more based off of contracts and extenuating circumstances than his actual play, where he plays next season.
0: Right, exactly. And, and I mean, guess the big question right now is what's the health situation for Ben Bish- Bishop? Because if, uh, if Bishop is good to go, then uh, if you look at a combo of Bishop and Hudobin, that's uh, a bit more money than the Stars may want to commit to the cap. And so at that point, it makes sense after the year that Ottinger had last year up at Dallas that he'd be the obvious number two. But, uh, but then again, that leaves you with some interesting, uh, some interesting trade possibilities. What do you think, Stephen?
1: Well, you look down the line, Texas as an organization has really not had as many blue-chip goaltending prospects in the 10, 11-year history of the team. Jake Ottinger, I think, is one of them. Jack Campbell is the other one. And you look at the pipeline of who's behind these guys. So let's say that you go with... Bishop and Ottinger, who is the next guy who's behind them if Bishop goes down? What's that insurance policy look like? And I don't know the answer to that. Landon Bow is a UFA. We don't, you know, he was, I think, going to, they were going to let him go until Ben Bishop went underwent surgery last, uh, last summer. And then they signed him to be that backup taxi squad guy. Colton points an RFA, um, Adam Shields, a rookie just coming out of college. Where, where are we in, in the pipeline for Dallas goaltenders? It, the, the cupboard looks relatively bare behind those three. So it's a very top-heavy group. But, you know, that's a story that, that is that is true across many different teams, and it's not a unique problem.
2: The Stars are in kind of a weird spot right now. They're, they're kind of stuck at a holding pattern, right? And it's not just the health of Bishop, which is obviously a huge thing, but you also have to look at the expansion draft, You know, who is Seattle going to take? I mean, there is certainly a a realistic possibility that, you know, they take Anton Hudobin. And then all of a sudden, you know, if Bishop's not healthy and Hudobin gets nabbed by Seattle, well, then, you know, maybe there's a lot more incentive to bring back a Landon Bow or a Colton Point because suddenly, you know, there's no depth in the organization. Maybe you have to go outside and try and find, like, a veteran backup on a one-year term that can you know, split duty with Ottinger, but it's it's tough for the stars right now. It's hard to predict what's going to happen because there are some really big unknowns that are affecting, you know, how, how the whole order is going to shake up.
1: Uh, I just have to interject that uh, you could tell Derek has been covering hockey for a good period of time because he called it the organization. Um, that's always the way you could tell somebody who is truly a hockey news reporter. Um, and I have to agree with the point. Um, the fact that Adam Scheele is your best bet behind your guys who are in the NHL, puts us uh, you know, in a precarious position for the Texas uh, fan because you know Adam Scheele could get called up, and then uh, what do you have? Probably an AHL-contracted guy. Thomas Scholl, a name that probably a lot of Dallas Stars fans don't know, um, was solid, but didn't actually even play enough games to count as a qualified goalie. For the AHL's well, end of season stats.
0: At, well, he just signed in Italy
1: too. There we go. Um, you know, so, so there is no there is no pipeline, right? Of yeah. of a guy who is there, who's been there. Matt Jurisic is a guy who played. Uh, I th- I think he sat the bench in maybe two or three games. He signed in Idaho, uh, likely for next year. But again, is that your number one guy in the AHL? Probably not. So Scott White's going to be working the phones this summer to make sure that he has some backup options in in net, because there's about 20 different ways that this could go, and we're all just guessing.
0: I just saw that, that Mike McKenna is not going to be working, uh, working Golden Knights games, so uh, it's almost like we need to <laughs> uh, need about uh, Mike McKenna from uh, four or five years ago to, to come in at, at, at a minimum.
2: I mean, I'd also be down for a Mike McKenna reunion just because.
1: We all love Mike uh, it, it, its He's an interesting guy because his breed is the kind of player that you need in this spot. You need a journeyman goaltender. But if you look at the AHL right now as a league, those roles have become fewer and fewer over you know, the past five years. Uh, Landon Bowe, a couple years ago, I was talking to him. He was considered a veteran goaltender at 24 in the AHL. Uh, veteran I'm putting that in air quotes. He's not actually a veteran by the veteran rule or anything like that. But that tendency to go younger and younger and focus more on the guys who you've drafted and developed and less on those free agent guys has really affected the pipeline. Absolutely.
0: So, so does that mean that you think that uh, Colton Point actually gets an offer sheet or uh, not an offer sheet, but just a, a qualifying offer and, and comes back?
1: I mean, you guys know just as well as everybody that Jim Nell hates to give away an asset for nothing. If they can qualify a guy, then they're going to do it. Colton Point showed promise, but, you know, the team overall t- didn't do super great in net, right? I mean, Colton, uh, Colton Point's goals against average was was over three, right? And he had a sub-900 save percentage. Is that something you want to invest in uh, for another year? I do don't know. And personally, if I were the one making the decision, I don't think that that's where you need to go.
2: Yeah. And one of the nice things about where the stars are at right now is they're not going to be in an immediate rush to make a decision. Like they're going to have time to let let the chips fall how they may with Bishop's health and the expansion draft and, and see where things go. I mean, come the fall, there are always players being sent down through waivers from, from the main league or from the main team down to the AHL. You know, in an absolute worst-case scenario, if Dallas needed someone that could play in the NHL, maybe you grab a third-string goalie from another team, let them be Ottinger's backup until Bishop is able to return. You know, you could have Adam Shield be the guy in, in Texas, which he basically became at the end of the season last year. I mean, it took almost no time at all for him to assume the starting duties in, in Texas, you know, outplaying both Thomas Scholl and Colton Point. So I think that you could probably slide in if you had to. I don't know if the Stars would prefer to have uh, a guy in his first full professional season be the starter, especially someone that has never been drafted and, you know, came to the organization late as a, as a free agent signing out of college. But, you know, he could probably handle the starting job if need be. And then, you know, there are always guys looking for jobs. You could probably sign an AHL journeyman veteran, you know, last minute if you absolutely had to. So the nice thing there is that there's not an immediate rush for the Stars to to make things happen. It's almost better that they have so many options right now because it gives them a little bit more wiggle room.
1: Yeah, the Stars would certainly be in a much worse position if they didn't have Adam Shield. But that's absolutely the case. and. I think if you can look, as Derek alluded to, at the number of games that he played, and basically he just he played almost the entire season after he was signed and joined the team. So the Stars have confidence in him, and on the reverse, do not have as much confidence in Point and, at the time, Thomas Scholl. And I think that, yes, Texas would be comfortable rolling him as the number one if they got, as Derek said, an AHL journeyman-type guy to act as a how to be a professional type of mentor to him?
0: Yeah, that makes a whole lot of sense. Um, but before we get away from goaltending, um, Derek, any comment on uh, what's way down the pipeline as far as uh, who the Stars have drafted and uh, and who might uh, who the Stars might be interested in in the upcoming draft? Well,
2: it's a pretty short list right now. I mean, there's only one goaltender in the prospect pool who's not. Adam Scheel and that's uh, Remy Poirier Poirier, who was drafted in the sixth round last year out of the QMJHL and Poirier is interesting I mean he's been the starter for Gatineau for this season and last season Uh, he is eligible to go back to the QMJHL next year and play his over eight season which he probably will and you know he's he's okay for what you'd expect out of uh, a sixth round draft pick you know he's big he's pretty competitive inside the net um, he's a little slow still. Some of his reaction time could be a little bit quicker. He hasn't put up great numbers as a goalie in the QMJHL, but in his defense, he's also played behind a pretty weak team the past few seasons. So he's someone that you know could be something. I don't think you can really say definitively that You know, oh, he's going to get an ELC soon and he's going to play for the Texas Stars. But it's also too soon to kind of write him off as someone without an NHL future, someone who won't, you know, eventually turn pro. So he's he's there. He's in the system. I'm sure the Stars, you know, keep tabs on him and are working with him as part of his development. And you know, the hope is that he can become something down the down the line. But right now he's kind of all there is in the system, so it's it's hard to say what the stars are going to be targeting at the upcoming draft. You know, either in the first round or the last round. But I wouldn't be surprised if they went the goalie route uh, at some point. Maybe not in the first two or three rounds, but I think you got to start filling the cupboards a little bit. You know, it it never hurts to take a goalie in the fifth or sixth or seventh round. You know, find the one that's the highest on your list or find one that one of your regional scouts knows well and, you know, has talked to a lot off the ice and has a really good feeling for, and maybe take the risk on him. But yeah, there's, there's certainly a need to fill that position, at least in terms of overall depth. I mean, they're not going to need to highly prioritize it because Jake Ottinger is young and he's really proving himself, but you need to start at least building some depth behind him.
0: Right. No, that, that makes a whole lot of sense. And, And with only one guy in the system, uh, I don't be surprised if, if there's at least one, if not two, in the, in the later rounds of the draft where, where you see a goaltender name show up. Okay, let's move on to the defense. And uh, with, the, with Texas and Dallas, uh, there's really only one name to start with, and that's Thomas Harley. Stephen, uh, you, you think you're going to see him anymore in Texas?
1: You know, I think this is another situation where uh, where contracts and extenuating circumstances might be more at play. Harley, you know, he is really solid on the offensive side. The kid skates so smoothly and really plays a a headsy game, um, to borrow a hockey uh, uh, neologism, if you will. And I think that if you look at his end-of-season awards, the fact that he really wasn't in consideration for as many as he probably would have been if he had been better on defense— His, uh, I believe, dash 10 uh, on the plus minus is not great, considering how many points he scored and and where he was in terms of, of his offensive game. You'd expect him to have a little bit better defending. If we don't see him again in Texas, it's because he's, you know, maybe playing in the OHL, right? Um, I, I think it, I think it's NHL or bust for him, or maybe like a short stint in the AHL, where he's uh, maybe doing the thing that John Klingberg did when he first came over. You play maybe 10, 15 games, something like that, just to just to get ac- get acclimated, get going. Um, maybe some stuff that he's worked on over the summer to get his defensive game stronger, because uh, I think that you really want to make sure that if he's going to be in like a five six situation, defense is going to be important for him him being an offensive specialist Dallas already has several of those right and you want to make sure you balance that with his defensive game too
0: right and you're probably looking at uh, at pairing him with Andre sekuo which uh, which would give a decent amount of mentoring and uh, it's a good good vet to be playing with
1: yeah and you look at who he was paired with in Texas uh, for quite a bit of the season he was paired with uh, with with Joseph Siccone right who was Also also had a similar setup at Michigan where he was paired with an offensive defenseman um, and covered up mistakes and and kind of papered over some of the more defensive uh, deficiencies that that uh, that were there. Um, Later on in the season, though, they just kind of went wild and paired him with Ben Gleason um, and two offensive defensemen. And they're just like, let's go. What's funny is, you know, Ben Gleason had some really incredible games uh, in that last stretch where those two were paired together. and, And Gleason actually ended up with a plus 13. And and I apologize in general for using plus minus as a stat, but, uh, you know, just PSA, the AHL has no advanced stats because they don't track ice time. Um, so apologies for that in general. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's an interesting situation of, yes, you're going to have to give him sheltered minutes, but another one similar to Jake Ottinger, what else does he have to prove in the AHL? Uh, and and if you have a player who's ready to go, who's relatively cheap against the cap and and can perform at the NHL level then I think Dallas is in a position where they could bring him in.
2: Yeah, it's, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with Harley. And it's it's hard to know exactly how much the team would trust someone like him. Because as Steven alluded to, you know, his, his defensive game is still a work in progress. And as we saw not that long ago with Julius Honka, you know, if you can't defend even in fairly sheltered minutes, you know, they're gonna be really hesitant to give you regular ice time. And, you know, if he's only playing 12 minutes a night or if he's sitting up in the press box, is the is the NHL the best place for, for Harley? Probably not. But I think it's important to say that even if he's not in Dallas next year, that's not necessarily a problem. He's still 19, he hasn't turned 20 yet. Uh, maybe Dallas fans are A little bit spoiled by Miro Haskinen, who, you know, played pro in Finland before coming to North America and jumped right in to Dallas and looked right at right at home. He's the exception to the rule. You know, most defensemen that age cannot handle that kind of workload, that kind of pressure, that kind of challenge. It's totally fine if Harley is not quite ready, you know, for the full time NHL duty next season. And he's still got a lot of runway. You know, he's still got things that he can work on. You know, if he's playing in the AHL next year or the OHL or wherever he is, logging 20 plus minutes a night, you know, that'll give him a better opportunity to work on his defensive game. He'll get more chance, chances to play on the penalty kill. Like he'll be able to round out his play a little bit. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, the stars love him. He's going to be in the NHL full-time very soon. He's going to go on to a long and illustrious career because he just has all that talent. But it's okay if it takes him a little bit longer to get there. There's not an immediate rush if the Stars don't need to rush him.
1: I think one of the things that'll be interesting if he ends up in the AHL this year, and maybe this is another reason why the AHL would be a good spot for him, is the addition of Maxime Fortunes to the coaching staff in Texas. You know, maybe Dallas fans don't pay as much attention to who's behind the bench. But right now, this past season, you had Neil Graham, who's a fantastic coach, but was a forward. And you have Travis Morin. Travis Morin was, uh, you know, AHL MVP, Calder Cup playoff MVP. But he's a forward. He's a center. And Maxime Fortunis played a thousand games in the AHL as a defenseman. And that, I think, is going to be really good for the development of all of the defensemen in Cedar Park because they're going to know that defending a lot more deeply because they have somebody who's been there again, no knock against Travis or, or Neil Graham, but it's not their natural position. And so having Max Maxine for behind the bench, coaching those guys, both in game and at practice video sessions, all those pieces, that's only going to benefit the defensive prowess of every single blue liner here in Cedar Park.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And especially with how Fortunus, you know, played those thousand games. He wasn't the best skater. He wasn't, you know, a big physical defenseman that could rely on his um, size advantages. He wasn't the most purely skilled at the puck. Like he was dedicated. You know, he was a consummate professional. You know, he worked his butt off. He was a smart player. He was consistent. Like he did a lot of really important things like a little a lot of the little things all of the little things that you want like that type of defenseman to do and i think that's a lot of stuff that he could you know pass along to the younger defenseman in in the system you know he's not someone who you know was all flash and dash and did things that others couldn't emulate like he the way he played the game and the way he carried himself as a hockey player that's stuff that you can teach other players.
0: Couple other guys who are still under contract. Uh, Ryan Shea, who uh, had what I thought was uh, a, a, an okay year, but I, I think he probably underperformed what uh, what fans were expecting. And then Dawson Bartow, who uh, who got to play up a bit and uh, and in my mind looked pretty decent for uh, for the
1: kid. Um, any comments there? Yeah, I think it's interesting. Ryan Shea had an uneven season. Uh, it was lumpy in parts. I mean, there were, I remember one particular game where I, I think Brian Shea was basically the the player at fault for like three goals in a row and just kind of kind of snowballed on him, right? He was showing his rookiness in, in that game. Um, and, you know, other times he would look fine and solid, but there were just times when the game overwhelmed him a little bit. And he did not appear to be, you know, the, as you said, the, the prospect that we expected and that expectation. But again, he's a rookie. He's a defenseman. These things all take longer to develop. And so I'm not worried about his development necessarily. I just think that it's a weird year. There actually weren't a ton of veteran leaders on the blue line. The most experienced player on the blue line in Texas was Ben Gleason, who was a third-year player. Um, that says a lot about the overall defense, defensive depth of the organization there. Um, so I'm not concerned as much about that. And then on the, on the flip side, as you mentioned with Dawson Bartow, he probably would not have played anywhere near the 25 games uh, that he did play this year if we had had a regular season without a taxi squad and with an ECHL team. Dawson probably would have been down in Boise. For most of the year or kind of that that seven uh, role in in Texas. Uh, so this was an opportunity for him. And I do think he showed very well uh, overall, you know, ending up even on on the plus minus and, and scoring, you know, a pair of points. Uh, I, I think he has promise there. But again, expectations uh, often measure how those two players uh, or any two any players would be compared against each other.
2: Something that I think is worth mentioning about Shea is he was a bit of a a slow learner when it came to transitioning to um, college hockey. You know, he he played a regular role as soon as he joined Northeastern. But it kind of took him a few seasons to really take that big step uh, to be the player that he was in his final year where he was a really, really solid two-way defenseman for them. So uh, maybe that's something that we're going to see with him at the professional level as well. And, and that's OK. You know, some guys are quick studies. Some guys can jump right into a new environment and, you know, they, they look right at home. Some guys, they're a bit more of a slow burn. They take a little bit more time, but they do get there. Uh, so I think with Shea, it's interesting that he was able to steadily improve his game and start eating more and more minutes and taking on a bigger and bigger role when he was at Northeastern. So I think that's a good sign that that could happen with him in the AHL level as well. Obviously, there's no guarantee with that. You know, No one can predict the future. But it's nice to have that track record that you can look back on. Um, I'm glad we're talking about uh, Dawson Bartow as well. I've, I've actually been a fan of his um, since his draft year. I met him um, after a Calgary Hitman game here in Calgary, you know, before he was drafted by the Stars. Really good kid, you know, really, really interesting energy, really positive. Um, he was really good uh, as a player back then as well. And it's nice to see how he's steadily grown. Uh, I see a bit of Taylor Fadoon with with Bartow in terms of how he plays the game and kind of what he brings, you know, he doesn't really shine in any one area, but he's consistent. He's smart. He's responsible with his puck movement. I mean, it's not easy for a guy to come into the AHL at 20 years old. And, you know, especially for someone who wasn't a high pick, someone who hasn't been, you know, elite player coming up, the fact that he played 25 games and, you know, played on the penalty kill and, didn't look out of place and earned a, a good amount of trust from the coaching staff, I think that's a really good sign. So I'm really excited to see what he can do over the next few seasons. It's kind of like with Shea, you know, no one knows what the future holds, but he's a guy who steadily got better and rounded out his game when he was in the WHL. Uh, and I, I think he, he's got a pretty good chance of continuing to do that uh, down in Cedar Park.
0: Um, any any comments then uh, beyond the guys who are under contract? Uh, we have Ben Gleason, Joe Ciccone, I believe Jared Rosberg, who are all RFAs this year. Any ideas? Uh, they coming back? Uh, where do you see them fitting in?
1: To my earlier comment about, about Jim Neal and, and, uh, and hoarding assets, I don't think there's any reason why those players don't get qualifying offers. Uh, I think Gleason showed a lot of promise. Um, he had a tough sophomore year because, you know, I think he got a lot of confidence off of the one NHL game that he played and kind of felt like he was a world beater in a lot of ways. And then the world beat him down in his sophomore season in the AHL. And it wasn't as strong as he had hoped it would be. Um, I think he came back strong this year in a leadership role for the Texas Stars. And I think that's that's an easy qualification. Um, I think for a guy like Joe Ciccone, um, same idea. Uh you know, on the other side of things, though, as a defensive defenseman, I think it's an easy, again, an easy qualification. A guy who they feel like they can continue to grow to be defensively responsible and protect the puck movers in terms of the defensive deficiencies, as we talked about before. Um, and then, you know, Rossberg didn't stand out to me as much as uh, you know as others, um, but I think again, he's he's a qualification that is uh, pretty simple to say. I, I, think, I think you got to do quite a bit in uh, Jim Nill's Dallas Stars organization to not get a qualifying offer. And I think all of these guys have shown enough in the shortened season to make their case for, for a QO. Yeah,
2: I would agree with Steven there. And I think he touched on something uh, important, that they all kind of bring something different. You know, Gleason's got that uh, silky puck movement. Uh, he's got that offensive flair that jumps out from time to time. Uh, Ciccone is that steady, stay-at-home presence. Rosberg brings a physical element. You know, he'll get in your face. He'll, he can provide that kind of spark. So these guys all provide something different for the team, and I think that's, that's important to note. And no matter what, you know, there's going to be AHL hockey next season, and there's going to need to be players on the roster. You know, they're going to need at least, well, I was going to say six defensemen, but that's obviously never enough. With call-ups and injuries and everything. So if you're gonna fill out your roster, you know, you've already got these guys who, they're not gonna cost you much. You already have an idea of what they bring. And in the case of like Gleason and Siccone, you know, they've been around for a few years now, you know, sign them and let them see what they can do, right? Maybe the team will also bring in like a veteran to help kind of stabilize things, maybe someone who has a lot more NHL experience. But uh, yeah, I, I don't see any reason why the stars would let any of these guys go. I mean, none of the three are superstars on the level of someone like Thomas Harley, but they all bring something different. And, you know, best case scenario, these are all three guys that could conceivably carve out an NHL job one day down the road if their development goes according to plan and they keep really refining what they bring to
1: to a team. i, I just like to throw in as well that, as we get into free agency here and there are going to be NHL signings, there'll be NHL-AHL signings, there even be AHL signings. And some of them, you'll look at them and go, like, wait a second, can can Jim Nill and Scott White not count to six? Like, you only need six people. But think about a couple of years ago, Dallas played 12 defensemen in a year. That was rough on Dallas's roster. Now imagine what that did to the Texas roster and the Idaho roster. So you just need bodies, uh, to Derek's point. You really do. And... Even if it seems like a guy is you know, one of those, wait, why did you sign him? I thought we already had the roster filled out. You're going to need those guys. Injuries happen. Weird stuff happens. Waiver claims happen. You need more bodies than you think. Um, it's not just the, the, the 18 skaters, right? It, it's more than that. Uh, and so that's why some of those guys might come in, sort of feel like they're out of left field, but ultimately will be part of a roster that gels together uh, you know, with, with the numbers that you've got in the house.
0: Well, and now we do have a coach at Cedar Park who's going to concentrate on the defense. And so with, with any luck, we'll see some, some uh, improvement on the learning curve with, with, with the entire group. But you do raise an interesting point. It's, uh, it was kind of odd last year to see that none of the, the veteran rule guys were defenders. And so it was an extremely young group.
1: It was an extremely young group, it in Texas, but also just across the league. I, you know, I'll throw yeah. that out there. It was. I, I don't know if there was really any team last year that had a veteran rule issue. Every year, generally in the AHL, there's at least one team where you hear about uh, there are certain veterans who are grousing about the fact that they have to be healthy scratch because they have too many veterans on the team and they can only play so many of them. That didn't happen last year because those a lot of those guys were on taxi squads, right? Like, you look at a guy like Tanner Caro, right? Like He would have been in Texas last year, but instead he didn't play a single game in the AHL last season. And that would have been a veteran rule uh, issue if we'd had too many guys like that. So that is a situation that is going to flare up anew in the coming season, and especially as the AHL moves more toward being a prospect-driven league. There will, always, there will continue to be conversations about what the veteran rule means, and we could talk about that at a separate time. But the, the, there's been relative labor peace in the AHL, um, and the one of the things, though, that has caused, uh, has caused any acrimonious conversation is the veteran rule, because players know that they'll get squeezed out of jobs uh, if they don't have a place to play. So that's that's been a point of contention, along with the number of games played, which luckily we finally resolved this uh, this coming two years, harmonizing on a 72 game schedule. But that's kind of the business side of the AHL that affects Dallas Stars uh, fans and, and their prospects, because if you don't have those veteran players providing guidance day to day and in game, the players don't develop in the same way. And that's why that's important.
0: Yep. Uh, one final question before we move on to the forwards. Um, if uh, if you see one of these defenders uh, get called up, who goes first?
2: I think it probably depends on what's needed. You know, if, if someone like Esselindell, for example, were to go down with an injury, suddenly, you know, there's three to four minutes of penalty killing time per night that's suddenly gone. So in that instance, maybe they lean on someone like Saccone or Rosberg. Or if someone like uh, Klingberg goes down and suddenly there might be some openings on the power play then you know maybe someone like ben gleason gets a look I, it's, it's going to really depend on on what what the need is because i think a lot of those guys are pretty close i mean i'd say gleason i think took some big steps uh, down the stretch last season as steven had had alluded to especially once he started playing with harley and found a little bit of a spark there so i'd say he's probably got the edge but I would say the the biggest factor would definitely be what Dallas would actually need on their roster at any given time.
1: I'd agree with that. And I'd say if you asked me in a complete vacuum and you said Dallas needs a body and you didn't tell me who went down, I'd say Gleason, just from an experience standpoint and the fact that you could probably shelter him a little bit with guys with NHL experience covering maybe some of the PK minutes or something like that, if if that was the guy who went down. But again, I, I would agree that it, it does depend who who went down and and who you need to fill for, um, and and those are those guys are, are all folks who, as we've said, could be potential NHLers. But there are gaps in each of their game that need to get filled in. And uh, h- happy to, to have a full a- AHL season this year to to watch that happen.
0: Um, okay, let's move on to the forward group, uh, and and again, we'll kind of start with uh, with the. Okay, we have Riley Damiani and, uh, and Adam Mascarin, and uh, are we going to see him in Cedar Park? Well,
1: th- yeah. th- th- this is Go ahead, one. Steven. Tarek, T- 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 you know, I, I, we both kind of, I think, hesitated here just because, again, it's a numbers game. You see guys who, who-, who blow-, blow the doors off the place, and, and it- the question is, are they 4A players or are they true NHL prospects? Uh, and are they truly going to end up in the NHL? There are guys who, in their career, wire to wire, are just incredible talents in the American Hockey League and never crack really crack an NHL roster. And I think that one one interesting stat that Brian Tosti pulled out, who uh, who is the uh, voice of the Texas Stars here and also the the PR guy, noted that everyone who's won the Rookie of the Year contract uh, Rookie of the Year award gets at least twenty games in the following season in the NHL. So, if you want to follow that, just think about Riley Damiani playing 20 games for the Dallas Stars next season. Um that's that's a good guide for where he might fall. Um you know, who knows, con, con the contract situation, and various other things could mean that he doesn't, but that is a a, a real possibility for him coming off a rookie of the year award that uh, that he certainly earned with with his play this year.
2: I think it's uh, to come back to something we've been talking about already with regards to depth. I think you always have to bake in to a roster or in, into a, a pro and minor league combined roster mentality. You always have to bake in guys who are call-ups. You know, you can't just have your 13 forwards and be like, "Oh, this is good, you know, whatever happens down the road, we don't know, we don't care." Like you got to have guys that you pencil them in as the 14th forward or the 15th forward or the 16th forward. And my gut tells me that's what we're going to see out of Damiani and Masker next season. You know, you could make the argument that they could be on the NHL roster next year, and maybe they'll really push for a spot in, in training camp and preseason, but knowing how Jim Neal operates and just knowing like how teams in general are kind of built with, with guys set in mind as call-up options, I think that's probably what we're going to see. I mean, Dallas is already pretty crowded at forward. You know, they re-signed Blake Como. He's coming back. Um, hopefully, we're going to have a lot more uh, luck with health with regards to, like, Radulov and Kiviranta. But the, the stars are pretty crowded up there. I mean, Tanner Caro showed himself to be an NHL-caliber depth forward. He got extended. Um but you still need guys that are in the AHL and you know you can bring them up. You know, if if Dallas were to say, okay, Damiani and Masker and, and Delandry as well, since we haven't mentioned him, we're just going to get those guys in the NHL next year. No matter what, we're going to make room for them. Well, then what? You know, let's say five injuries happen. Who's next? You know, is it is it Riley Tufty Is it Ty Feliber? Like, you need guys, and it's almost unfair to them in a certain way, but you need guys who are on the cusp guys who could probably play in the NHL and hold their own, but for reasons of depth are, are kept in the AHL. Uh, and it, the thing with Damiani and Maskin, and especially with Damiani, is there's not a need to push them up. Like Damiani's only had one rookie or one season in the AHL. It was only 36 games. Mascarin missed a lot of time due to injury. So he's still, you know, to some extent, shaking off some of the rust. And he's only 23. You know, that's not like he's... You know, on on the downswing in his career, he could still develop with one more year in the AHL. Um, what those guys did last season was phenomenal. They managed to continue on chemistry that they had together in the OHL's Kitchener Rangers in Texas, which people were kind of expecting, but I think everyone was pleasantly surprised at just how much chemistry they had together. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing what they can do this season for sure. I think they both took really good strides last year and have really shown themselves to be solid NHL caliber prospects, but I think we're going to have to expect to see them at least at the start of the season in the AHL. And you know, maybe if things happen throughout the season and there needs to be call ups, well, if hey, if their if their play is continuing to be strong, those guys would definitely be in the conversation to to get called up.
1: There's something that Scott White always tells me when we're on the phone. And I'll ask him a question about well, what do you think about this prospect's development path or something like that? And he always says, well, it's up, up to the player to force us to make a decision. And I think that that is the sort of approach that they're going to take with guys like Damiani and Masterin this coming season. They may be slated for the AHL, but either they need to force Dallas's hand in training camp or early in the AHL season, where they sit there and they say, there's no way that we can put these guys in the AHL. They need to be on our NHL roster, and we need to move other players or make other moves in order to get them there. We've hands. Seen it. Yeah, exactly. We've seen this happen before. We've seen this happen before. You put a guy down for 10 to 30 games, and somewhere around you know November, we're all sitting there going, why isn't this guy on the roster in Dallas? And then the move happens, and, and you pull that guy up. That is exactly the way that Dallas wants to to run their roster. There's no guaranteed spots for for anybody at that level, and I, that's probably the conversation that's going to happen between Neil Graham, Scott White, and and several of these players. Where like, look, make us make a hard decision. And I personally think it's a great way to run a roster. You prove you have to prove that you're there. You get nothing from being a first round draft pick. You get nothing from having you know a high hot college free agency market for yourself, prove it. Well,
0: and, and with the stars at the forward level, I mean, we, we haven't even mentioned Joel Esperanza, uh, Nick Camano, and Rhett Gardner. I mean, there are just a significant number of forwards who could easily find themselves on the I-35 uh, going back and forth depending on what the needs are up in Dallas. Uh, and I suppose that also means that, uh, that Texas is going to have a pretty good set of forwards to put out on the ice. There's certainly yeah.
2: going to be options and, and it'll be it'll be interesting to see the level of competition too. I mean, in the past, we've seen guys that have worked their way up um, from the AHL and, you know, gotten their shot in the NHL and it just didn't quite stick. Like someone like Curtis McKenzie, as, as an example, you know, was great in the AHL. You know, he, he earned his NHL time. He really did. He proved that he was good enough to get that chance. And, you know, he, he wasn't bad as an NHLer, but he just kind of got overtaken by other players. And I think that level of competition is is healthy. It, I think it's fair. Um, you know, maybe the NHL season starts, and you know, Joel Esperance is the 12th forward, and Nick Camano is the 13th forward, and maybe that goes on for a month or two. But maybe during that time, you know, Maskin and Damiani are tearing it up in the AHL, and come November, it's like, well, you know, the two guys down in the minors have been looking better than the two guys we have up here. Let's switch things around. Let's see how that goes. And I think it ties back into what I was saying with, um, with call-ups and the importance of that. It's always good to have guys get that test, get that taste of the NHL and just see what they do. Cause sometimes you call a guy up and you think he's going to be great. You think he's going to fit in right away. And then you know, sometimes he doesn't. It, it's a big jump from the AHL to the NHL. Some guys can handle it perfectly and some guys can't. So it's nice to have a bit of flexibility where if you bring a guy up and it doesn't quite work, well, you can send him back down without too much headache.
1: I think one of the things that you look at the guys that you just mentioned, you know, Lesperance and Kamano and you know, Caro, maybe even uh, Gardner, Texas, is, Texas and Dallas, have always sort of had a glut of those, you know, bottom six tweener players, right? Where we've we we've seen these guys who they have to make their mark, like by doing penalty killing. They have to make their mark by by you know they don't have the offensive prowess to jump in right into the top six. There's been relatively few of those blue chip guys, um, and like for example, I look I look with envy at the guys who get to cover. Uh, the Ottawa Senators organization. Now, of course, they got there because they had a ton of bad years and they got to draft a lot of great players, but they had a lot of really great forward prospects, really strong scoring prowess, just a lot of fun to to cover and to watch. Um, and Dallas's organization is not as much like that, right? You've had some luck with some hits on guys like Jason Robertson, obviously, this past season. Rupa Hintz developed into that player, but... There had been a lot more hits than uh, or misses than hits in the the past, and and you need those guys, right? But we're not talking about, you know, which player is going to slide into the top six for Dallas. We're talking about which player is going to slide in as the 12th forward, the 11th forward. Uh, And and that changes the conversation a little bit because as much as, you know, I enjoy talking to each one of these guys, it's a game of interchangeable parts in a lot of ways in the bottom six. You have to find the right mesh of all those folks. But those players are not as hard to find in the NHL market as a top six player, to be sure. Yeah. Uh, and,
0: and you say something about, you know, finding your making your mark while you're there. I mean, take a look at Kiviranta, what happened with him. Um, you know, his, his time in the AHL was, wasn't really as a superstar. But, uh, but he, he got his chance at the NHL, and he produced, and, uh, and it stuck with him. Antoine Roussel
2: is another really good example of that. A guy who yep. was really solid in the AHL, but once he got to the NHL, he just showed a whole different level to his game. And as soon as he got up there, it was like, okay, this, this guy is special. This guy is going to you know, run through every player on the opposing team. Like We can't send this guy back down. He's, he's a competitor. He's, he brings something different to the team. And we have to keep them up. And I think that's going to be important as well for to for what I was talking about and what Stephen was touching on with these guys in the bottom six. You know, They, they have to find something that they can bring. They have to find an element that they have that the team is lacking. They have to be a piece that fits somewhere nicely whether that's as a penalty killing specialist, whether that's as a power play specialist, whether that's as, you know, a fast guy who can play that kind of pest role. Uh, I feel like Rhett Gardner, since we talked about him a little bit, uh, I think he really showed himself last season in, in well in that way. You know, he came in and we all kind of knew what he was going to bring. You know, he's a physical defensive center. That's what he was in junior. That's what he was in college. That's what he was in the AHL. But he's he's so good in that specific niche that he was able to carve out a role and earn more of a regular roster spot than someone like Nick Kamano, who I think he had a little bit of a hard time last season kind of finding what he is. Uh, same with uh, Joel Esperance. You know, he got 12 games of action and he was fine, but I don't think he quite found his role i don't think he found a a role that the team was willing to keep him in the roster that he was providing so when it comes to guys like damiani or Maskin or or ty delandria who we haven't talked much about i think they're going to have to find something that they can bring uh, whatever it is whatever their specialty is um that's they're going to have to find something that really fits with what the team needs and provide something really specific
0: you know, somebody like Delandria, you know, his his game may require another year or two for his body to grow into the game he wants to play. hmm
2: Yeah, absolutely. He he's got that fearless style of play. He's physical. He doesn't back down from a challenge. And you know, when you're nineteen and playing in the OHL against a bunch of guys who are 16 to 20, that's it's a lot more manageable. Um, but maybe not yep. so much in the pros. You know, he's not a small guy by any means, but he's also not a big bruiser or anything. So, yeah, DeLandre is an interesting case study. I I thought he was good in Dallas. I didn't think he was great last year. I didn't didn't think that he played so well that he earned a consistent roster spot. I mean, he was, you know, some games he would outplay Tanner Caro and some games Tanner Caro would outplay him. And, And that's okay. Like we were talking about earlier with Harley, you know, there's not a huge rush. He's still young. He's still got a long career ahead of him, and he could be a guy, he, he might even be the guy who was the number one call-up for, for Dallas. You know, let him start in the AHL, let him be the number one center, maybe let him have top power play time and play on the penalty kill. And, you know, if something happens up in Dallas and they need a body, well, hey, Ty's been playing 20 minutes a night, he can do a little bit of everything, and we like that about him, so... It's it's going to be interesting to see what happens with him. He's almost become a little bit forgotten just because he didn't get a whole ton of ice time last season. Uh, he you know went down to the AHL and played well, but he wasn't there long enough to really make an impact. But I, I'm still a big believer in Tidalandry and what he's going to bring to the team moving forward.
1: You know, I think you could have a really interesting situation to start the season potentially, where you could be icing. A first power play unit that is Riley Damiani, Adam Mascarin, Ty DeLandria, Thomas Harley, maybe as the as as the quarterback, and then somebody like Anthony Lewis as an AHL veteran guy. Uh, that's a pretty powerful group uh, to to put out on the ice uh, for for a first power play unit, and if they can gel and learn each other, and and that could be a really deadly combination. Um, So I I think that there's there's a lot of opportunity for that groups, a group like that guys that we've continued this this thread of prove it in that those first 10 to 20 games in the AHL to get that experience working together and showing Dallas that they can uh, be part of a team, grow their individual game, make the guys around them better uh, and force the hand.
0: Okay, uh, before we get to get too far afield here let's uh let's talk a little bit about uh our europeans that are coming over
2: yeah it's 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 interesting i mean dallas has been doing that sort of thing for a while now as as all nhl teams do i mean we already talked about kiviranta he came over from finland and had a pretty solid rookie campaign and wound up in dallas but what we're going to see this upcoming year is is a little odd for for dallas it's i can't remember the last time that there's been uh, so many fresh faces coming over you've got frederick Karlström, oscar back or oscar bach i think it's pronounced uh and jacob peterson all coming over from sweden which is pretty exciting those are three of the stars is arguably t- in their top 10 prospects uh evgeny okcentiuk um played last season in his home country of belarus he signed his entry-level contract it's hard to say if he'll be in Texas. I don't know if Steven has any intel on that or not. I think he could play this upcoming season uh, in Europe again, even though he signed his ELC. But it, it's going to be really interesting. Those three guys, the three Swedes I mentioned, are all really solid prospects and they all bring something a little bit different. Uh, Karlström was a bit of a a slow comer um, over in Sweden. He had a couple up and down years split between different leagues. But over the last two years, he really found his game. He is an explosive skater in open ice. He's powerful with his strides. He can just blow by defensemen and get in on a breakaway or or an odd man rush. He's really exciting to watch. Um, His small ice play is still... A work in progress sometimes he's not the greatest in traffic but man if you give him some space to operate he's really really dangerous um oscar bach is in that radic radic foxa uh, jason dickinson uh rec gardner kind of mold big physical uh shutdown center he's gotten a little bit better with regards to his puck skill and his offensive game and his mobility he's not a bad skater by any means he's actually uh, a little bit better than people realize in my opinion He's going to fit right in. I mean, he's been playing pro in Sweden since his draft year. Uh, I think he's going to be a big player right away for Texas. I don't think it's going to take him any time to get there. And uh, Peterson is really interesting. He's kind of, he, he's a bit of a hard player to describe. He's quick. Uh, he's not a blazing skater, but he plays really quickly in tight spaces. He's crafty. He's competitive. He's competitive. He's good at the puck on his stick. He's got some offensive flair, but he's also got a bit of a pest-like nature to him. He really buzzes around the ice when he's out there. He's really exciting. I think he's the type of player who could become really popular with fans just with how he plays and what he brings. And he, he really came on the last few years in Sweden, uh, joined uh, the Frolunda organization, which is like the hockey organization in, in the SHL. And, you know, had a great playoff run with them a couple years ago. Uh, he took on a really big role this year in Faris. I, mean, I can't even pronounce it, but Faris um, as one of their, one of their top nine forwards and ended up one, as one of their top scorers. So I think these guys are going to all bring something a little bit different when they come to Texas, but they're all going to, I think they're all going to jump in right away. You know, these guys are in their early twenties. Now they're not 18 or 19, They've got years of experience playing in Sweden against longtime pros and in some cases playing with and against former NHLers. So I think these guys are going to be ready, and I think they're going to bring a really interesting dimension to the Texas stars that I don't think we've seen in in quite some time.
1: I'll just add to that that, One of the reasons why I don't have as much of a view on these players is because of the pandemic, we didn't have an opportunity to get these guys over on ATOs, uh, amateur tryout contracts, uh, at the end of last season to even throw them into, you know, two or three games at the very end of the year as throwaway to just give them the opportunity to be around the team. Um, And, you know, none of these guys got that opportunity and probably would have given the fact that the European season finishes so much earlier than the North American season. You could have seen a lot of these guys coming in around the same time as Adam Shield did or Jordan Kawaguchi, and they would have gotten an opportunity to play a significant number of games potentially with the Texas Stars. That didn't happen this year, and that puts a little bit of a damper on their development just because they didn't get the opportunity to see the North American game, meet the, the coaches, meet all those things in person. It might take them just a little bit longer than we might expect if they had gotten that opportunity uh, when we start next year.
2: Yeah, it's funny. We talk about uh, the Finnish mafia up in Dallas with all the Finnish players they have, but I, I like that all <laughs> these guys are coming over at the same time. I mean, that's something you worry about when you bring a young player from Europe over to North America. You know, it's culture shock. The ice is different. The game is different. You're in a different environment speaking a different language. So I think it's really beneficial that these three guys are coming over at the same time because there's that level of familiarity there. I mean, I mean, Bach and Pedersen uh, played together in the same team this year. Like These guys know each other. They played against Karlstrom in the SHL. I think the, the fact that they're all going to be coming over at the same time and playing together is going to be a really, really good thing for all of their development and what they're going to bring to the team next season.
0: Okay, let's, uh, let's start to wrap up here. A couple just kind of quick shots on, uh, on some guys who are out there that we haven't talked about yet. Um, Riley Tufte, Ty Feliber, uh, Jordan Kawaguchi, any, uh, any uh, hot takes here?
1: For what it's worth, you know, I, I think Kawaguchi, you know, he, he's early, right? He had a, an injury that happened to him in one of his first games, and he'll come back uh, strong, I think, in September. He showed a lot of promise. Uh, Feliber, you know, the interesting thing is I, I've heard so much good stuff about him as a, a glue guy on the team, you know, team morale, all those pieces, but he obviously has to perform on the ice as well in order to in order to make it worth it to have a glue guy like him in the room um he got into 31 games he was he was a dash 12 uh, with eight points split evenly between four goals and four assists after you look at the ohl season that he had to end end his ohl career where he was just scoring in bunches I, I think that's what his value would have been uh in the american league and in the nhl and if it's not there I, i'm worried that the, the sun is setting uh, on him. Uh, Tufty, I think, as, as we've alluded to in in some of the previous answers here, is uh, carving out a niche for himself more on that PK big body type of side of things. I realize that that's not what Dallas fans or any NHL fans love to hear out of a first round draft pick. But, you know, if you can get a serviceable everyday NHLer who helps prevent goals out of a first round draft pick, I think that GMs will take that every day of the week.
2: Yeah, I have to agree with Steven on, on all of that. Uh, I've been a big toughie defender for a long time, and I, I still have hope for him, but it's it's been a little disappointing. I mean, you can't really deny that. You know, sometimes you take these guys who they've got the natural advantage of size, they can skate well, they can carry the puck, and yeah, maybe they're a little bit raw, but you work with them, you coach them up, you develop them. Sometimes you get a guy like Rope Hints who just takes these massive strides in his game. Once he starts maximizing his tools and putting them all together. And then some guys, it just doesn't quite work for whatever reason. And, you know, Tufty kind of falls into that category. It seems like I I do think he's made some nice strides um, over the last two years. I think, I think it is fair to say he's probably not going to be much of an offensive contributor, but you know, that's okay. He has the physical tools needed with his size and his skating and his reach to be a really effective shutdown forward. And, you know, if that's what it takes for him to eventually carve out a regular NHL role, I think that's worth, that's worth looking into, you know, I think he still has that chance and I'm, I'm rooting for him. Uh, but I think you have to be realistic with your expectations of what you're going to get out of them. And with expectations, I think I think Fellber got done in by them a little bit. Uh, for people who don't follow like uh, the big junior leagues in Canada, the OHL, the QMJHL, and the WHL, it's not that uncommon for a guy in his overage year to light up the league. It, it happens every year. There's always different guys who come in and they have this huge explosion in points and they score a hundred points and you know, they lead the league and their team and whatever. Um, It's pretty common. And I think a lot of the expectations on Feliber when he was signed as a free agent were a little too high. I still like the guy. I think he's starting to find his game a little bit after a a disappointing rookie season. Uh, Like Steven alluded to, he's going to be a guy who needs to contribute a little more offensively, but from what I saw of him in in the OHL to what I saw of him last year in the AHL, I did find that he rounded out his game a little bit better. He's putting in a little bit more effort off the puck. He was a little bit more responsible with his de- defensive decisions, and I, I hope that we can see a bit more of that because I don't know if he has the talent necessarily to be a big time goal scorer. But if he can blend a little bit of offensive contribution with a little bit of that work ethic and that energy and maybe a little bit of that locker room presence, I think that might have to be his calling card going forward.
0: Okay, uh, just uh, one last closing question, I guess. Uh, we, we had a captain, uh, Cole Schneider, who uh, is back with Milwaukee. Uh, what, what do we think the leadership group's going to look like uh, in, in Texas for this next year?
1: That's a great question. And, you know, De- Texas was was honestly blessed with, in their early years, a consistency in their captaincy that a lot of ahl teams don't have so just keep that in mind that the fact that texas had uh had a captain for two years they had a captain for uh three or four years they had max for they had you know they had they had several different multi-year captaincies and then they've had a series of one-year captaincies and that's honestly more common in the ahl so don't get freaked out by that right the fact that cole schneider was here for a year he was captain and now he's gone don't don't freak out. That doesn't mean anything in terms of that. That being said, um, I I personally, I, I'm a big Anthony Lewis fan myself. I think he's been a great uh, veteran uh, ad for the team. But this is one of those things where we may not know the player who's going to be the captain until very close to the season because he might be out there right now in free agent land. Uh, Cole Schneider was that player, right? He was a player who... Had a spot in Milwaukee. He was signed under contract, and then Milwaukee decided not to play last year uh, because they're an independently owned team, and they were just going to lose money doing it. Um, and so he came to Texas and took a leadership role. This happens a lot in the AHL, where you know you'll have a, a one-year uh, kind of hired hand to do that captaincy uh, job for a year. So I wouldn't worry if you hear some press release and you know, early September or late August where Texas has signed a player you've never heard of before and they're going to be the captain. It's okay. just means the system is working. They found a veteran talent who is able to provide a leadership element as well. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if that's somebody who's been a captain before. Um, I think that one of the things that Texas is going to need to do in their leadership group is ensure that they have a strong defensive representation wearing an A. I mean, heck, or even a C if they can get it. Um, I think that that, you know, don't count out the fact that somebody, uh, you know, somebody that we already know uh, could be in that group. Right. Joel Hanley, probably if he's if he's in the AHL, will probably would probably be a great candidate to get an A. But the question is, where does he fit? Right. You, we, we've talked about that all night of, of what, where do things slide with contracts? I don't think that it's something that um, uh, we'll know a lot on. But if I had to put my money on anybody who's sitting on the roster right now, Anthony Lewis is my bet.
0: Okay. Well, thank you all very much. I think this has been a great conversation uh, on, our, on our Texas Stars. Um, any last thoughts?
2: Heck, I think we covered pretty much everything. You know, what happened last season, what we could expect this season, some of the European guys. This, this has been a great chat, gentlemen. I'm glad that we did this. But uh, yeah, I think, we're, uh, I think we've covered uh, all of the bases.
1: No, I I think that uh, the Texas Stars are obviously, I think Dallas fans know now more than ever, a very important part of winning the Stanley Cup. Eventually, you don't get there without developing prospects. And I really appreciate the fact that Dallas fans pay more attention to the AHL now. And, you know, I know I look at my numbers and my Google Analytics and most of the people who who read the site outside of Cedar Park come from Dallas uh, for good reason. And and there's going to be a lot to watch this year in the AHL. There's a lot of moving pieces. And I know I mentioned it earlier, but the schedule harmonization that's coming, Texas will only be playing 72 games this year. Um, Just a shout out for anybody out there if you want to come to a game, it's a fantastic experience if you've never been. Um, And there'll be 36 games to attend this year. So please make it out there. And if you do, feel free to shoot me a a, a DM and and we can try and meet up.
2: To follow up on what Stephen was saying, I'm just going to read off some of the names of this year's Tampa Bay lightning Stanley cup championship team that played in their minor league for their minor league team, the Syracuse crunch, Andre Palat, Yanni Gord, Alexander Kalorn, Anthony Sorelli, Tyler Johnson, Matthew Joseph, Eric Chernak. And that was just the, the names at the top of the list. I feel like there's a few more Ross Colton. Like, I think it's really safe to say that possibly more now more than ever that, having a strong AHL team and a strong feeder system from that AHL team to the NHL team. That's key. That's super important. I think maybe in the past you could get away with signing free agents and, you know, you have a, a draft pick who comes up and joins the team right away. I think you need to have that consistent system where guys are developed under the same strategies and the same values from one system to the next and that they're brought up along a reasonable path and in a way that's you know healthy for their development, I think that's huge. Tampa Bay has shown how much value can, you can get out of it. The fact that they're able to populate their roster with these homegrown guys, often on good contracts, um, I think that's really, really important. And I really like what uh, the Dallas Stars organization has done with the Texas Stars to kind of integrate the two and really help developed the overall system as a way to get those young players playing in the minors and steadily work them their way up to the NHL.
0: Great. And I guess we'll leave it at that. Thank you guys. Thanks Mark. Thanks for having us. Goodbye.
2: Thanks a lot, Mark.